This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ted Lasso podcast on post show recaps. You better believe it. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by the man who's going to give every listener of this podcast a PlayStation 5, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? <laughs> you backed me into something I cannot deliver on. Uh, somebody wants to give me one, though. Uh, DMs are open. Just saying. Yeah, slide into those DMs with, uh, well, no, that's dangerous. That is like the kind of territory where like you're getting doxxed and not in like the Dr. Sharon way. Yes. You, someone Some, sends you a link, fill out this form, I'll get yeah. you a free PS5. That yeah. is, as the kids say, sus. Yes, that is sus. And then I meet Elliot Alderson. Some big Fountainhead fan is going to get me, Josh. Oh, my God. You brought it up. I didn't. We are talking season two, episode three. Do the rightest thing here on Ted Lasso. Uh, an episode that I think Antonio just like some of the surface stuff that I'm reading. Um, a lot of the comments that we got from listeners of the podcast, patrons of post show recaps uh, are talking about this as one of the very best episodes of Ted Lasso. Certainly the best best of the season so far i'm really excited to to dig into it it's obviously a really meaty episode of the show i i completely agree and it's funny to think about because certainly ted lasso has the capability just because all sport does to provide a lens uh that we can use to view society through um the lens is not just something that is opaque or uh that we look through right but it's something that reflects uh and it reflects in a way that perhaps is unique among uh, other mediums, different things reflect differently, and sport certainly reflects society in very specific ways. And I don't think you can really do a football show uh, be based on what's going on in football these days and not uh, get into issues like this, of player empowerment, um, of player activism, uh, and of franchises struggling to figure out their place in this, uh, as they certainly are are money partners with a lot of very negative companies uh, and having their players speak out against them puts them in a very unique position. So uh, it was a great episode, very well executed. I'm fascinated by the IMDB scores for TV episodes because it's sort of this marketplace of ideas thing uh, yeah. where you're just, you're just users of a website uh, have upvoted them and it's the most popular broad website. It's the highest scored episode in season two with a 9.0 out of 10 uh, of all the votes. 
and it it really only trails a couple of episodes from season one. Tan lines, I know, show an episode you love. Josh is a nine point oh. Rebe- make Rebecca great again, and the hope that kills you are both nine point twos. So even by IMDb scores, uh, this is one of the highest rated episodes of Ted Lasso ever, uh, and a really really well executed episode for sure. Yeah, I think an instructive thing to to know. I know that this was something um, that Coach Beard him himself, uh, Brendan Hunt, had tweeted about uh in his own Ted Lasso Twitter talk um that this episode and the two previous that episodes 1 through 3 um much like in the first season those first 3 episodes dropped all in a single day uh like the premiere was effectively like a 3 episode event they wrote the Ted Lasso writers room wrote the first 3 episodes broke the season assuming that those first 3 episodes would be released in a single batch as well so that watching all 3 of them um back to back to back was the ideal way of consuming this so it's three weeks into the show antonio and in a sense we are now just like finishing the premiere in, yeah. in a matter of, of speaking and i know that you um uh at, at, no surprise in, in my mind that you've done it that way after episode three dropped you watched those first three uh, again to see how this kind of works as like a you know a, a three headed beast. Um, how did that? How did that play? Did it illuminate anything for you? Definitely did. If it's for example, Higgins brings up in this episode just sort of in a passing way. Oh yeah, we're having financial problems, which is something we talked about on the podcast last episode, and not being one of the part of the first two episodes, you might think well. It's probably not going to be a big story this year. They didn't get right to it right away. But if you think about the first three episodes as a group, it's one of the very last things uh, that we are left with is this potential financial peril uh, for AFC Richmond in the championship, which, as I said, last podcast episode, very appropriate storyline for them to be doing. Um, It wouldn't have seemed like a big deal. But when you think about this being sort of the end of the premiere, uh, it seems like one of the last things they hit on uh, is this particular element. So there are a few more things which I want to talk about later on into the podcast here uh, that once you look at all three episodes, it's interesting to track, for example, what are Roy Kent's scenes saying about Roy Kent in the first three episodes? If we take it all as one piece, what about Rebecca uh, and what what storylines has she had prominent over the three episodes and how are they linked? Um, there are things like that we can do with probably most of the characters. Uh, some, I think, more interesting or illuminating with specific scenes that are there. And maybe some in ways for th- scenes that, and things that aren't there. Um, also, full disclosure, we wrote uh, the first three podcast episodes to be done at once as well, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we we didn't expect that we would have to break them up over the course of almost right. a month. Yeah. We've been um, sitting here at this table for like six hours at this point. Yeah, just toiling away uh, has certainly been the way we've been doing this. Um no, there's so much to get into. I want to make sure that we hop into all of it. A couple of uh, business items right off the top really quickly before we dig in deeper. Um, one, of course, we are always open to feedback. We love your feedback. We've gotten some great emails, some great comments in the Posture Recaps Patreon Discord uh, about the show. Uh, certainly, the Discord is self-explanatory if you are a member. If you are not, it's basically a sprawling chat room server where you can talk to uh, the Posture Recaps host as well as fellow listeners of the podcast. You can sign up for that at patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. Beyond that, we've got our email address, 
Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. That's going to go directly to myself and Antonio. Um, so we want that feedback in uh, for episode four, which this podcast is normally dropping on Mondays. That's been the way of it so far. For episode four coming up, we're going to be a little late. I just want to give you guys that note before you get to your Monday. And you're like, where is it? It's not coming on that Monday. We are recording on that Monday. We will be recording on August. What is that going to be? I think August 16th. Sounds right. Uh, uh, so uh, afternoon of August 16th. So you've got some time to send in your feedback. If you've got feedback for the season, if you've got feedback for that episode specifically, this will be a great time to send that in. So Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. Just wanted to give you that note early in case you reach your Monday, August 16th. You're like, where is my Ted Lasso podcast on Post Show Recaps? It's coming. It's just going to be a day or so delayed. So we appreciate your patience. We also appreciate your patience as we've taken all of this time to really start talking about the episode, but we shall waste no further time. And I think, Antonio, um, much like Nora being starstruck by Sam Obasanya, I think that is the character that we have to start with. Uh, a huge episode for Sam. Um, a really huge, just uh, major, major storyline for for Sam. And I think for Ted Lasso Season 2, writ large, dealing into some really interesting territory, some complicated territory um, with the whole storyline about Dubai Air and Cerithium Oil and Sam taking the stand and his fellow teammates taking the stand alongside him. Uh, really incredibly moving. I, I would love to just start off with your take on this on this story that I think dominated so much of the episode and certainly is, like I think, rightly the, the story that a lot of people are talking about coming out of week three. I was so thrilled that we got a Sam story the way we got it. Um, we've been talking about this even back to our analysis of season one. And some of the things we wanted to see more of. And one of Sam's very first scenes when Ted gives Sam one of the army men uh, that Ted's son has given him to protect him uh, and Sam's birthday. Um, Sam talks about how you know the imperialism of the American army is something that doesn't sit well with him. Uh, and right away you realize, okay, when as Ted is realizing, like, these guys are from all over. Like, it's... It's an interesting opportunity to tell a lot of cultural stories uh, because football really is um, this cultural mix. You've got players from all over the world playing uh, for teams in England. Uh, and so these locker rooms are, are really interesting places to be. Um, and such that, you know, what you, what you often find is you find like um, a player who grew up in Africa uh, and maybe speaks French or English as a result of uh, his time in Africa, along with any other languages he may speak from just being a native of whatever country. Uh, and then maybe he goes away as a young uh, player, like at age 16 or 17, to Germany uh, and picks up German and speaks German for five or six years. Uh, and you maybe are talking about somebody who speaks French and German fluently and has some broken English uh, and then maybe moves to England uh, and can communicate with their manager in German because their manager managed in Germany or can communicate in French because their manager's French, but not English with their English teammates. It's just fascinating the way that these locker rooms exist in uh, football, especially in Europe. And so the opportunity with the Sam character being from Nigeria and having a background where he, he was thoughtful and really immediately reflected that back to Ted 
uh, met, I think, a lot of us were interested in seeing stories about Sam. Uh, it was a character I think they just barely scratched the surface of, along with Danny Rojas in season one. And of course, as we started season two, what do we have? We have a big Danny Rojas story right away. Um, we didn't really penetrate the psyche too much of Danny Rojas, and the takeaway seemed what to be that. What are you talking like, about? What about that nightmare scene uh, yes. with him killing the <laughs> cartoon dog death. over again? Football yes. is death, and yes. we see a little bit about his love life beyond football. Oh yeah, like right. We learned so much about Danny. We in got the first deep episode. into that psyche, and 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 Doctor Fieldstone cured him by reminding him of his catchphrase that football is life. So I don't know. We we got a lot more depth with Sam, and I'm so thrilled for it. I am so 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 thrilled for it. And look, this this kind of subject, as I was as I as I've talked about on this podcast, that. It's a subject that you really cannot avoid if you really want to go there uh, with regard to what modern football is dealing with or the the issues that uh, modern football reflects, uh, modern sport in general. And for them to have done so, so elegantly with Sam, uh, to have it be so relatable. Um, this is a family thing. It comes from family, which is an issue that's super important on this show, specifically the father, which is a, an issue that is super important on this show as well. Uh, and it, it is so much more relatable because of that. Uh, Sam does not want to let his family down. His family means so much to him and his family are remarking on this. It's also, it is a racial issue, of course, colonialism, especially uh, all over the world. You cannot ignore the legacy and the, the, the way that that is institutionalized so much. But um, it is different to, per se, speaking out on like a, a very clear issue that is in the zeitgeist like Black Lives Matter. This, this comes at it from a, an environmental perspective, which like environmental racism is super important and it is not something that gets the, the hot airplay. Um, it isn't something that, that plays as well in Twitter videos and in things that can go viral, um, but it is, it is no less form of racism. And for the show to be subtle about it in this way, I thought was very clever and I thought extremely effective extremely effective in giving them the opportunity to take on a story like this uh, and and do so head on, but not do so in a way that felt inauthentic or felt, at least to me, um, felt forced. It felt natural. It felt really understandable. And I think as a result, probably a lot more effective uh, in terms of understanding the messaging. So I think they did an excellent job with it. And I was so glad to see it. I mean, I, I, I was... I stay up late and I watch these episodes as soon as they come out at midnight. And so I was very curious to see as soon as I got done watching this, what the response to this episode would be. I woke, I went to bed a little bit worried that there would be some backlash or people with different opinions or different backgrounds would say they fumbled it. Yeah. From people who don't understand anything uh, that Ted Lasso is aiming for at all. Yes, I'm, I figured there would be backlash from them. I was worried there would be backlash for people that did understand it and whose perspective is probably more valid than mine or who, more on point than mine. Um, and I didn't see that feedback or that backlash. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, I really am. Um, not that I would have been unthankful or ungrateful if I did see it, but I'm thankful that it appears that the show uh, nailed this to people that are fans of the show. And uh, I think that was really important that they did that, uh, that people didn't feel like it wasn't something other than, you know, really nice and powerful and beautiful and all the things that it was. Um, it was it was such a great episode, uh, not just for for Sam and the way this character um, negotiates this really difficult issue of being so incredibly proud about a thing and so incredibly excited about 
you know, a spotlight moment, the kind of thing that, you know, when you are in the public eye, uh, you you dream of these opportunities, you you hope for this kind of success. And to, of course, as you say, and I think that father issues have been uh, prevalent on Ted Lasso from the jump, but especially this season so far, uh, or maybe it just stands out more because you and I, uh, for you and I, because we are like watching it on such a granular level, but it does feel more prominent here in season two, um, that for it to, to come from Sam's father to point out the ways in which the partnership with Dubai Air uh, feels like a slap in the face and like what's underneath it and the whole aspect of Cerinthium oil and the complicated relationship with Nigeria that um, that this represents for Sam and his his navigation of going from something that he's so excited about to finding his way through that and feeling very, very set and solid in his positioning against that um, was was really, really beautiful to see from like, you know, taping off the uniform to the moment that he gets to speak to the press and and really articulate where he's coming from. Um, but one of the ways that I really loved this episode was not just through Sam, though him most of all, um, but the way that this story is reflected with so many of the other characters on the show from uh, from Rebecca and how this weaves in with Rebecca's storyline um, to most especially, you know, the locker room and the team um, and the incredible Jamie Tart moment of like, throw me the tape and he tapes his thing off where we're a team. We have to wear the same kit um, and everybody coming out. I just thought it was, it was really, really moving. Um, and I think the kind of, um, I don't know, the kind of idealism and the unity that, that you hope for more often in our actual world that I think Ted Lasso often drives at. I think taking on the issues that this episode took on through the lens that it took it on, uh, through the lens that it framed it through um, with these characters and the way that it reflected back on all of them was magnificently told. Uh, I just, I love, I loved that aspect of it that they were able to um, turn a really personal story for a character into this really great showcase for the greater ensemble. Yes, definitely. And you've got an opportunity here in season two, uh, the the season, the episode count is larger. Uh, we've got some fan favorites that have emerged, and we've got an entire bench of, of people to really deliver on uh, when you talk about the ensemble. So there is this, I think, this great connection uh, that can evolve, and we're starting to see that. We're starting to see some of the other players come to the fore a little bit more. Uh, and again, when you talk about these three episodes together, you sort of can't ignore the fact that there are certain faces you're just seeing more, that are talking more, that are getting more time uh, than they did before. And so to see the way that this played with the whole team, I thought was really uh, p- powerful and very effective. Um, it it was also not for nothing. Uh, the whole team was piling on Jamie Tart. Like the whole team was piling on Sam when he got the picture. Like we're seeing a lot of great moments of camaraderie of the team. Uh, and it's interesting because they were on a streak uh, of of draws of 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 you know tying all these matches, and now they've broken the streak uh, with a loss, and they're still thrilled. They have seemingly adapted a lot of the positives of Ted Lasso, the character, in terms of paying attention to each other, being kind and decent to each other, listening to each other. Uh, the team itself seems to be doing much better. Sam emerging as a leader in that locker room uh, and as a voice is is ex- exceptionally welcomed by me 
Uh, and I think the show will be better for it. Um, with the, the more depth that we get to these characters, we will care more about their on pitch uh, results because we will care more about them as individuals. And that's a way I think the first season, we just didn't get enough time to really make the crushing blow of relegation land for a lot of these people. We didn't have to sit with how disappointing it was to these players. We didn't have to sit with the aftermath of that. We don't really know um, too many of them, and we didn't get into like how much that might have hurt them. We are seeing the aftershocks of it, and I think it's really good to see how this plays out. So I, I just think this episode did a really... like I, I think you're right to observe that not only does the center story with Sam reflect uh, aspects of Rebecca, but other characters as well. It just, it all tied together really well. It's just a, a very well-written episode. Um, I think they got a pinch hitter for this, Ashley Nicole Black, who I do not believe is in the Ted Lasso writer's room per se, uh, but did get credit, uh, writing credit and, and wrote this episode, Do the Rightest Thing. Uh, Ashley Nicole Black, uh, probably best known for her work on a Black Lady sketch show. Um, but also uh, a, a longtime writer on the show Full Frontal was Samantha B. So they definitely brought in a uh, a, a mercenary or heavy hitter uh, to deliver this episode for them. And I think mission accomplished for sure. Uh, directed by Ezra Edelman, who won the Academy Award for the Best Documentary Feature and the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Directing for Nonfiction Programming for Directing OJ Made in America. Uh, oh, wow. So really high pedigree behind this episode. So if this one landed, not by accident, uh, really just like excellence across the board. And I think a credit to Ted Lasso, uh, the production team, for having the understanding and uh, I think the the self-consciousness, if you will, uh, to say, listen, we probably... We, it's okay if we get these people from different projects who aren't our people, who aren't our thing. This isn't a closed set. We're going to bring in Ezra Edelman, uh, who directed, you know, OJ 30 for 30, uh, and directed a lot of other sports documentaries. We're going to bring him in. He's not our, a Ted Lasso guy. Uh, and we're going to bring in Ashley Nicole Black, who is not known for our show, but is known, uh, for, uh, the ability to have a comedic take on issues that are serious. Uh, so I just think really just all around uh, an episode that I mean, we're lucky. This is the third episode of the season, Josh. C certainly this has to bode well for the rest of the season that we have a high watermark this early into the run. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's interesting because I feel like there has been this, um, you know, this this sort of constant refrain among um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of the people who I'm seeing engaging with Ted Lasso, certainly some of the feedback that we've gotten along the way that we've even discussed on the podcast about like maybe something feeling slightly tonally off, like almost like too self-referential, like almost too self-aware with Ted Lasso season two so far. I really sensed very little of that in this episode personally, myself, um, as well as in a lot of the discourse around this one. Um, like it felt like, I don't know. I think like some of those like conversations about is Ted Lasso feeling like a little slight, like a little slim this season, um, almost a, a little tiny bit adrift, uh, not unlike uh, AFC Richmond themselves. Um, that seems to have dissipated a decent amount. I think that like when you view this as like if it was like a three act show, Antonio, the premiere, and this was act three, like. They nailed the landing. And my thinking, like my my question now is like, 
well, what does this inform, not just from a quality standpoint, uh, although certainly like a really high watermark in terms of quality with this episode, you know, one of truly, I think, you know, this is uh, a top three baby episode of, of Ted Lasso for sure. Uh, and I think for many people, an all timer uh, or the all timer thus far. Um, but how does this, you know, where does th- where does this go? Where does this lead us? Because one of the things we talked about in our preview show especially like as it pertained to the Rebecca storyline was maybe like this idea that like Rebecca, like for some, for some people it feels like gets off pretty easily considering some of the things that she does in season one and Ted just forgives her. And like, there's a little bit more work to do, but other than that, it seems like it's kind of just that. And it was such a major story and it has sort of like this anticlimax to it. Um, And in another show's hands, the fallout of that dominates like, seven episodes in a row or something like that um it's still tbd as to like what other shoes are there to drop as it pertains to rebecca and some of the moves she made in the first season um but as of now it's not supremely front of mind for the show my question antonio is um do you feel like because the this is not a nothing deal like in addition to being like an incredibly character driven um, story development, Sam's decision, and then the rest of the team's decision to stand with Sam, um, and not just like the players, but Rebecca, you know, all the way to the top, Ted, uh, like everybody being on board, um, and Rebecca having had that, you know, confrontation with with um, the, the owner of Dubai Air, or is it the owner of the owner of Dubai Air? I'm maybe a little bit confused on the relationship between her and the person she was calling. Like, this is, this is not nothing stuff. This is important stuff that on most shows would um, would really lord over the remainder of a season. Like, this feels like statement piece stuff that has to be followed down the line. Do you feel like this is going to be like the story energy for the season? Or is, I don't know, predicting Ted Lasso's story almost uh, like a not a worthless enterprise? Otherwise, what are we doing here? But kind of a tricky thing to, to negotiate that like going by convention is maybe something that is uh, not quite so simple to do. I definitely think it's a little bit of both. I think as far as going by convention goes, we are in a situation where um, the show's convention, at least one of the main ones they established at the end of season one, when the team gets relegated instead of drawing to stay up, is to be unconventional. Ted Lasso himself, his convention is to be unconventional. Um, It isn't so much subverting expectations, although that's a big one. I think it's more changing expectations by the way, by your approach. And that's sort of Ted Lasso's game, right? Is he, he does, you don't expect it. You don't see him coming because you assign him some value or you believe that he's going to be a certain type of way based on the way he acts. And you act uh, against Ted Lasso or you, you sell him short at your own peril. Um, judging a book by its cover in this instance, uh, or expecting the next thing that you think is going to happen based on the information being presented to you does not serve you well when you're dealing with Ted Lasso, the character. So I think it flows a little bit more naturally that it wouldn't serve us well to do that when we're dealing with Ted Lasso, the show. It does make it a little frustrating, uh, at least from this seat, when we spend a lot of time, for example, talking about how could Ted be such a jerk and not tell the team about Jamie Tart and, oh boy, Sam looks so upset, and oh boy, aren't we going to see some fallout from that? And then we have the next episode, which, at least directly, has no fallout from that. 
there is no backlash against Ted. There is no uh, player, uh, you know, fights with Ted over this Jamie issue. There just doesn't seem to be any real hot water that Ted's in as a result of the way he behaved. But we can really talk about what I think is the case with Ted Lasso, which is that the things that are happening are a lot more subtle. Uh, and they do pop their heads out and they do emerge and they do stand up and say, hey, I'm Ted Lasso and there's definitely issues with my dad. Uh, but they don't necessarily flow in a direct line such that we can uh, directly predict some of this stuff. Uh, we can more talk about, I think, thematically and character wise where we find the characters, use the evidence the show has given us and talk about where we think uh, we want to see the characters end up. Like, where do we not want to see this go? Um, what do we think could happen? I think getting into direct predictions is a little tricky with this because the show has existed in a world where it takes your expectations and it is aware of them and it tries to make its own way in light of what it knows your expectations will be. And as I said, it's a lot like Ted Lasso, the character. So it makes for a very interesting uh, podcasting experience and certainly an interesting experience from an analysis point of view. That said, I definitely want to make sure we get into, not necessarily right now, but looking at those first three episodes together, because I think there's something more valuable to be done there rather than the episode by episode stuff. Um, let's keep touring through through the episodes specifically. It's a big Jamie Tart episode. Jamie Tart is back on the team. Uh, his acclimation is certainly his reacclimation rather is certainly a little bumpy. Uh, he gets into it with all of his teammates when he tries to say <laughs> like, you know, I know I got to clean it up. I'm so his, sorry about everything. His litany of sins is hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. Uh, the, <laughs> you hit on my mom. Give Janet me best. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not making it better, Jamie. No, really, really good. Um, and then, of course, like the cardinal sin is you got us relegated, mate. Yes. Uh, you know, and sort of like the how do you get out from from under that aspect of this, uh, I think was was uh, I, I don't know. I I really I really appreciated the way they approached Jamie in in this episode and feel like. I don't know. We could have. This is another thing where you could spend the entire season just being like Jamie Tart is this up and down douchebag uh, who, like, some days he's got the heart of gold and other days he's just back to his old tricks. And certainly, there's still miles and miles to go with the season. But I think that they they found a way to like really. Um, he's on board, and I think like his his show of solidarity at the end of the episode, like this isn't just like PlayStation Five nonsense, you know, of him like just trying to like buy the affection of his teammates. I feel like this was like he saw something wrong. He saw a teammate in pain. He saw a teammate trying to do something, and like the Ted Lasso way has shined through Jamie in in ways that have not been always overly obvious. But I think if you've been tracking his character at all, like it really connects. Like he seems to be so much more on board with Ted than he was uh, all season one until that moment that he, you know, he leaves the team in the first place. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was really, really well done. I thought the, the needle was really properly threaded there. Um, what was your take on everything that went down with Jamie this week? I do, I do love that. It's interesting you say he reflects the Ted Lasso way because this episode I thought made pretty clear. I do agree with you. Like, I do agree with you that he's on better terms with Ted. And I do agree with you that the Jamie Tart we saw in season one that bristled at everything coaching wise and still was an incredibly talented player in spite of it all seems to be gone. 
But I, I do wonder how much his success in this episode, his ultimate success, is a reflection of Jamie Tart uh, reflecting the Ted Lasso way, or is it Jamie Tart reflecting the Dr. Sharon Fieldstone way? And that's something where um, I think we can talk about the, the the Ted, the Ted connection. If you want to talk about reflecting Ted Lasso, um, what is Ted Lasso uh, projecting onto the team? Not Led Tasso, which we certainly will get into, but Ted Lasso himself. And I think that's the interesting thing to think about with Jamie and and what I want to track with Jamie um, is Jamie was always driven by this desire to be the best, to prove he was the best. And we have learned that that desire came from a very negative place and that Ted in the pub in episode two, uh, when Jamie comes uh, crawling uh, to him and is self-flagellating and you know, talking about all the mistakes he made and everything and why, uh, Jamie talks about how his dad was the reason. And Ted says a lot of the time, like, pressure sometimes produces this. Like, some, you hear about people whose uh, parents were very hard on them and that produced their greatness, like Bono with Joshua Tree. So the question I have is, can Jamie Jamie Tart's good now? Like he's good with his teammates. He seems to be good. Like everything is good. But we need, or AFC Richmond needs Jamie Tart to be great. And can Jamie Tart be great without the motivation that was previously driving him? Uh, or will he just get Ted Lass into this position where he's happy and doesn't really care about results, where he's not results oriented uh, in a job where your results are 100% how you and everything around you will be judged, not how nice of a person you are or how much personal growth you experience. The judgment occurs. What is printed in the newspapers, uh, if that's still something that happens, uh, is your record. It's your it's your statistics. It's your achievement. Uh, you are judged by your achievement, not how great your spirit was or how nice of a teammate you were, but how well your team achieved and how well you achieved. And if Jamie Tart is an achiever based on negative energy and you remove that negative energy and now he's just a freewheeling, nice, goofy guy, is he still going to be an achiever? And I think that's the question that we can put on all of AFC Richmond. And that yeah. all comes from the Ted Lasso way. Yeah. Well, look, uh, a very a very good therapist may be able to get under the hood on that with yes. with Jamie and may be able to be like all right so what what were the aspects of that negative space uh that occupied so much of your drive and your energy that you can um, rediscover in healthier aspects of your life. Like, how can you tap back into the roots of some of that stuff? Uh, and I do think that that's like, that's fertile territory for somebody of the professional pedigree of Dr. Sharon uh, and uh, and the kind of stuff that, that she can draw out. And I'll tell you, Antonio, like, I really wanted to see more of Sharon and Jamie together uh, and to, to see more of that session uh, beyond just Keely taking Jamie to therapy, which was amazing, by the way. Uh, and Jamie sitting down and being like, so I just talk about myself. And she's like, yeah, it's basically he's like, all right. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's like, that's like, all I ever wanted. <laughs> you know, he's like a very ideal therapy candidate. Yes. So it's, it's great that he's going to he hopefully divine value from it. So but but my initial instinct was to be like kind of frustrated that we didn't get that therapy scene and that we so far haven't really gotten that therapy scene. I actually think it's a really artful choice uh, on the show's part 
to keep us at arm's length from 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 that stuff because uh as much as this is an ensemble show and there are so many different players that we are deeply invested in both in terms of the literal players but also the cast members just overall um this is a show called ted lasso it's about ted lasso and his influence on people primarily um and for ted Clearly, this is like a sacred art that he does not know. This is like Stephen Strange going all the way uh, across the world as like a world class surgeon, knowing nothing about the mystic arts and having, uh, you know, like, you know, scoffing at them and not understanding the way they work uh, and ultimately becoming the master of the mystic arts. Whether or not Ted Lasso is going to end this show um, with, uh, with, with an LCSW, I don't, <laughs> I don't think is really the journey that. That we are on um but somebody who does not understand necessarily the effectiveness in his previous experience with it being negative uh and the way that it interacted with um his couples counseling with with his wife so i think it's actually really intelligent of the show from like a story design standpoint to, for us to not see the dr sharon sessions probably until we get to ted would be my thinking so that we can sort of experience that with him so that there is you know a lot of a lot of the lines like a lot of the dots that we can connect for ourselves in terms of how her work may be influencing the people who she's seeing um hopefully in in a largely positive way but in terms of actually seeing those scenes i think holding them back from us is going to be uh ultimately a really fruitful endeavor um for when we get there inevitably i do think uh with ted directly in the seat across from sharon yeah, I definitely think so too. Um, it is, we had kind of speculated about that, right? Like, are we going to even see inside that room until we get in there with Ted? And we have seen inside the room a little bit, but we have not seen the work. Uh, we've seen the work in, in a, in a little bit of a way. Like, we've seen Dr. Fieldstone really sizing Ted up pretty quickly when he comes in and says, what's your favorite book? Uh, or the, the Ted, the lad Tasso of it all this episode. She's able to read, write, through Ted pretty quickly. She hasn't gone deep uh, and she's requested it. And I, I do think it's good that we're keeping that away. She seems to be very effective. Um, Jamie Tart before the scene where Keely marches him up there. Uh, Keely brings up that she's a little bit busy and scrambling because Sam has backed out of the Dubai air gig. And Jamie says, that's stupid. You want me to do it? Like, that's what his mindset is about the Dubai Air gig, uh, that it's stupid to give up a sponsor gig and that he's happy to step into those shoes and do the photo shoot. Not even the thought about why, not even a question about why. Uh, and then by the next time we really see Jamie Tart with the team, uh, right after his session with Dr. Fieldstone, presumably, um, he is stepping up and being uh, the first non-Nigerian uh, to black out uh, the Dubai air with the tape on his jersey. So not only does he go from thinking it was stupid to get rid of it uh, and being willing to just wordlessly question, no questions asked, be the face of this thing, uh, to step up uh, and be with his teammate. I don't know what it is that Dr. Fieldstone told him. But that seems to speak to a Jamie Tart who isn't just cool now, as he puts it, to Keeley, but a Jamie Tart who really actually maybe gets it a little bit and understands uh, and is cool enough about it to say, like, we're, you know, got to wear the same kit, don't we? Same team. Uh, he's he's not stepping up and, and saying, you know, uh, something that would make the whole situation feel a little more uncomfortable. He's finding a way to make it fit in a way that not only goes for him, but goes for the rest of the group. 
Uh, and I thought just whatever Dr. Sharon said to him, we don't even need to see it. Like you're saying, it's almost better that we don't. Uh, but she, yet again, works magic. That said, the team loses, and the team is now worse off than when uh, before Dr. Sharon came to the team record-wise. So the question I think we're continuing to ask ourselves, if if we care about the fortunes and the fate of AFC Richmond as a football club and not just the members of it, uh, is how do we get there? Like, how do we get to the point where we're on a heater, where we're winning, where we go on a run? Uh, where we go on a cup run, where we make it uh, battle our way to sixth place so that we can get into the playoff uh, to see who gets promoted, um, which we can talk about. I don't know if that's going to be something that comes up on this season, but it's a little bit complicated how they decide who comes back up. Uh, and so we want to know how AFC Richmond gets there. And I feel like we're going to spend some time uh, over the next couple of episodes, especially figuring that out. Um, because if we're going to have an upward trajectory for their results this season, I think it's got to start before the year turns calendar wise in their season. I think they've got to really get the ball rolling on that soon. Uh, and it wouldn't shock me if it's as early as the next episode, but I think that's where the rubber has to meet the road. That's the next steps for these people. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, like the timing on that and I guess it is, it is the lightest of spoilers to say, but you got it. If you have Apple TV plus, which I assume you do, unless you're a pirate. Yar. In which case you deserve to be spoiled, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the price you pay. Um, yeah. Um, but that the next episode is called Carol of the Bells, uh, season two, episode four. Uh, in a lot of the reviews uh, of season two, there's a lot of talk about a Christmas episode. Certainly seems like that's coming next. So that's the time of year we are in. Um, just I know that this is a little bit of like longer looking, but to like stay on your point of like where the team's record is at. Um, how bad is it? that we are uh at this time of year where you know december uh you know you know the end of the year like looking at new year's with uh, a winless record so far tons of draws one loss this can't be great we have to like start going on a tear unless it becomes and if we don't like it it's got to be coming clear uh pretty quickly in this season that like getting out of relegation is not really on the table right it does. Uh, it's 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 a little bit tricky. I mean, the championship season is so long. Uh, it's forty six matches, uh, which is a lot. What's but the, I mean, what's there, the date range? There, it, the roughly. championship is so for just for reference, just in case we wanted to pick a, a, a club. Uh, the championship started this week. Um, we we just started this week, and we will, I believe, go um, until like early to mid May. I believe is when the championship. Uh, we'll finish. I'm a little, I'm a little hazy on it because COVID has changed the calendar the last few seasons. Uh, but yeah, it's going to go to like earlier or mid May. But I mean, you, you're talking about 46 matches, right? So they've played, uh, what nine, I guess at this point, uh, that we know of, uh, is eight straight draws and one, one L, right? So, yeah. um, it's not insurmountable by any stretch. Uh, the team that, uh, the teams that were in, uh, contention to be promoted, uh, last season, um, the third place, uh, club had, uh, 15 draws over the course of the whole season and seven losses. Uh, and they had 24 wins. So, you know, we're just going to have to talk about a scenario where Richmond really goes on a run. Uh, and I think that's certainly attainable. Draws are, are far better than losses. I mean, when you, when you draw a match, you get a point. Uh, and you're probably trying to get into the zone of about 75, 74, 
73, 70, somewhere in the, or the low 70s of points to get yourself in a position where you can get promoted or, or be in a, be in a position to maybe get promoted. You want to get about 70 points. Uh, and, you know, Richmond has eight, eight from, uh, nine matches. So, uh, they've got 40, they got 30, what, 35. I, I'm, I'm terrible at math. 37 left to go. So they have some room. Yeah, they have some room. They yeah. have plenty of room. They just, it, they're clear, they're, they're clear for takeoff. They just need to take off. And I mean, if, if, even if they don't get promoted, there are a lot of other things they can compete for, uh, namely domestic tournaments, uh, where all the teams, uh, in different leagues, uh, compete against each other, uh, for the course, over the course of, of the year. And they, that could still be a second half of the season storyline for them as well. So there are definite like stakes that are in play that they haven't really introduced yet, but that as we get further into the season, we could still be playing for. And I think the dream of promotion is still alive. Um, it will just, they'll just really have to go on a heater to get kind of back to, uh, a decent spot with that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Ted. Uh, and one of the things I want to talk about Ted, uh, talk about with Ted is, uh, is Led. Led Tasso. Led Tasso. The other guy. The the other other guy. guy. Uh, you wouldn't like him when he's angry. Uh, (laughs) Ted Lasso hulking out. And I think. Sun's getting real low. Sun's getting real low. And, and one of the, the constant or consistent, uh, rather refrains that I'm, I'm seeing from a lot of the feedback that, that we got, um, was, uh, was, you know, sort of thumbs down on Led Tasso. Um, for, from Jared. Jared wrote, wrote in and said, I really wish the Led Tasso plotline wasn't in this episode. That felt extremely sitcommy and didn't work for me at all. Um, there's a lot of uh, different chatter in in a, a similar refrain here, um, and I think that that's that's fascinating to me because like that is like such a season one thing. You know what I mean? Like Led Led Tasso feels like such like a I mean, like, Led Tasso feels like probably, like, the most SNL-y thing that Ted Lasso the show has done, um, you know, outside of Ted Lasso as a character, generally, as, like, a premise uh, that, like, yeah, the I mean, other it feels guy... Like the, it feels like the old premise. It feels like the old Ted Lasso premise, a little bit. Yeah, and so for that to be something that uh, is meeting resistance, I think is is fascinating to me from, like, the sort of, like, the, the fan standpoint as narratively, simultaneously... Like the show seems to be kind of like hitting up against Ted Lasso's whole vibe. Um, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just basic, which I definitely am. I laughed. I thought the Led Tasso stuff was funny. Um, but if you were to cut something out from the episode, uh, for sure, I think that would be among the very first things that I would cut, considering how much other great stuff is in here. We haven't even talked about Rebecca and Nora and Roy's role and all of that. And I'm very excited to get into all of that. Um, what was your take? Did you like Led Tasso? Do you feel like this is is this the point that we should maybe be feeling like a little eye rolly about the whole thing? As I said, it did feel like it felt like the original character. It felt like kind of a something they had on a card in the writers' room. They had Led Tasso written there, uh, and they just found a way to kind of jam it in. Um, that said, I think it's appropriate on some levels that it didn't work. Um, it worked on a humorous level for me. I laughed really hard at the improvisational element of it when he's going on and on about the part of the ball 
uh, and the the air hole, and you know you're going to play with that, and then it's like, oh, you're going to make out with you, you're going to make it your white. Like he goes on this just complete tangent, and then I also love the Tim Burton, uh, like the the button at the end, like even freaking Dumbo, the way he says it, so exhausted. He was exhausted with the rant. He's exhausted with Tim Burton's antics. Like I did laugh uh, at that, and I also think the music that was under it was very funny. Um, I don't know why it just had this sort of manic element to it that worked. I was like this person completely losing it. I have some questions about Led Tasso, like how Led Tasso happens. Like, why did he disappear? <laughs> what did he go do? How did he get himself psyched up? What got himself into the Led Tasso trance of it all? Like, wh- where where was that? That part made me laugh just thinking about it. But I think the fact that it maybe doesn't work is, is really good because it doesn't work for the team either. Like, this is not what brings the team together. It's a yeah. In case of emergency break glass, last resort, as Coach Beard calls it. And Dr. Philstone immediately is like, I see what you're doing. Has it ever even worked? And, and they're like, no. No. You know, maybe that Chuck one e. time. Yeah. yeah. Chuck E. Cheese at work. You guys, Chuck E. The Cheese. <laughs> you, guys, you guys have Chuck E. The Cheese here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, Charles Edgar Cheeserton the third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the, the only time it worked. So, like, even the show is acknowledging <laughs> this has never worked. It's just a gag. And so yeah. Ted's gags aren't working right now. Right. And Ted, Ted's going, he's digging down to the bottom of the barrel to try to find Scraping. something to make these things yeah. work. Scraps. And he's, he put himself in this position. He didn't have to bring Jamie Tart back. Like he did not have to do that. This is as a result of Ted's own choices. So I don't, I don't, you know, Ted's like, I'm out of ideas. It's like, well, you're out of ideas because you changed the question. Like you changed the scenario. You, you were probably in a good place. Sam believed in this project and believed you did not need to bring Jamie back to win. And I, we can debate till the cows come home if that's why Ted did it. Did he do it because of what Dr. Fieldstone says to him when his mind seems to be made up about bringing Jamie back? Uh, she says, like, is everybody okay with not winning? And then that's when we have to get Jamie Tart the next day. Uh, but Sam said, like, I believe in this project. Yes, we've had all these draws, but I believe we're going to win. Don't you? And that's the question I feel like we don't know if Ted is answering himself. Like, don't you? Do you believe that your methods can actually help this team win. I know you believe in the quality of your methods and helping this team become better people, supporting them, providing this environment, this caring, nurturing environment where people listen to each other and people are pleasant with one another. I know you believe in that and I know it works, but is that enough to win football games? Is that enough to, you can't just smile your way through financial peril. I wish you could. Like I wish so many lives would be easier if that's all it took to get yourself out of it. But it isn't the way. Like you can't smile about student fucking loan debt. It doesn't work that way you know and so the ted lasso ethos as we've talked about over these and there's your drinking game by the way i said that word again um that has been uh that has been something that i think really has been the subtle theme of this season is like what do we do with the effectiveness of this when smiling your way through it and being nice and being kind and being good is not necessarily enough or you want more that being happy isn't just enough. You want to achieve. You want to grow. You want to experience adversity and learn from it. Like you want and welcome all these experiences. And what if you're not getting that? Because all you're doing is just in this sunny dispositional mentality. 
And we've seen, even in, in the face of Ted's own life, the, uh, the theme in season one was how his ruthless optimism or relentless optimism was not enough and actually caused problems for him with his marriage. Like that was the problem that he, he shortcuts to when he mentions what the, the couples therapy was like, is that his optimism was put on blast and you can't just smile your way through and make it work. And now I think we're seeing that happen in this season. Ted's pulling out all the stops. And I think what we've seen really subtly through these three episodes is Ted failing over and over. Ted failing and other people and other people's methods succeeding. And I think we saw that with Dr. Fieldstone having probably better success with Jamie uh, than the Led Tasso of it all did. Uh, maybe Led Tasso primed the pump. Uh, for the team to welcome uh, Jamie back. I, I don't know that we know that the Lad Tasso thing was a direct failure, but I think it's it. I think it's perfectly appropriate that maybe it doesn't land with the audience because it doesn't really land with the team either. And I think that's sort of the point. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To get us from from Ted into a storyline that I really want to talk about more is Rebecca and Nora, which also means the return of Sassy. Uh, early on in the episode, the scene of Ted and Sassy seeing each other for the first time, presumably, uh, certainly for the first time for us since they since their uh, one night stand back in season one. Um, this was from from Jen, uh, who wrote in and said, I liked how the show handled Sassy and Ted uh, and had nothing to be hidden from Rebecca about their night together. It's just easy and didn't need to be a thing because the show isn't about that kind of drama. Just smart choices. Um, I really loved that, too. I thought that the first scene between Ted and Sassy all in front of Rebecca and then when he leaves and uh, Sassy's like, yeah, he just talked like that the entire time. It was so great. <laughs> it's just like really, really funny to me. Um, I, I really loved that open uh, to the episode. I thought it was great. It was, it was just cool to see Ellie Taylor back on the show. I really like that character a lot. It was funny. She's talking about uh, missing her back tattoo. Like, like if you're like, okay, what, we're going to have Sassy say one line before Ted walks in. What should we have her talking about? <laughs> yeah. Tramp stamp. Perfect. We got it. Yeah. Uh, it's just it, very fitting and very funny. Uh, and the fact that she's saying she misses it is great. Like, 
that's just uh that speaks to somebody who looks at themselves in the mirror naked and that's uh i feel like a very sassy character note uh and hilarious uh the way rebecca spits those biscuits out uh, for you shippers out there that's either another great moment in the long uh trail that you're going to build uh biscuit crumb uh from rebecca and ted to whatever their couple name would be red uh to becca i don't know try becca uh but either way um i thought that was really funny uh also the cobblestone away from uh the the period joke uh and ted's reaction to that oh bibbity bobbity boo yeah so always great to see you just such a straight shooter like yep. so uncomfortable with it uh very 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 funny very funny yeah uh, and you know an interesting we've had a biscuits with the boss scene in every one of the episodes and of course biscuits with the boss means ted and rebecca and girl talk was the first one girl listen uh and ted maybe failing to give rebecca the romantic advice that she uh needed and roy just giving her the lightning bolt uh speech uh, that was really the advice that she needed or that really resonated with her. Um, and then in the second episode, you know, they, they, they had their biscuits with the boss moment where Ted talked about why he was not comfortable with therapy. Rebecca said, you know, she wasn't either. Like, why do I need therapy? That's what we have friends for. And then when it came to unburdening themselves of any thoughts and feelings to each other, it was awkward silence. So that was our second biscuits with the boss. And then this is the third, uh, Ted and Sassy. I mean, why does Ted bringing up like, is, is she mine? Like he knows that that's not true that's so inappropriate yeah how does he uh, know like how does he know that Re- that rebecca knows about he and sassy i guess he just assumed it just can't it, there's there has to have been you know uh conversations that we are not privy to enough time passes between the ends of season one and the beginning of season two that somehow some way this bridge was traversed you know, like they, <laughs> yeah. they went here, they discussed it, it came up. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled with that though. Like, I'm glad it's not like, uh, cause I think that there's certainly a read on the Ted and Sassy thing in season one that this could be like, you know, this is like a, you know, a door stopper, right? Like, we're just going to wedge this in here and have a real problem. We're not ever going to be able to shut this thing and it's going to be annoying. Uh, that's like very sitcom tropey thing, a, th- a sitcom tropey thing to do. Um, it seems like that is not going to be the thing that's going down on, uh, on Ted Lasso. And I'm, I'm, oh. I'm thankful for it. I don't know. Drink. I don't know. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I hope i hope not i hope not um but what it does do is it it opens the door uh for for nora who we had heard about last uh last season that um rebecca was really close with sassy's daughter nora who she hasn't seen in a very long time and now uh nora who's played by kiki may is on the show and is exceptional uh just an incredible yes, I mean, what character is it about these, and just, what, what is it about these british actor act, young british actresses like this is just a, this is just, I mean, we've got the Game of Thrones uh, connection. Bella Ramsey, yeah. Yes, we have, we, we just, there are just Macy these Williams, yes. incredible stalwarts of uh, these young uh, female British actresses who are coming up who are just going to rule the world one day, I think. Let us be ruled. Uh, yes. Long, long may they reign. I'm here for that. Very right. here for it. Yes. Uh, she's so good. She's so great. Um, like them at like the what is this this uh this tea ceremony thing that they're at? Like this like Polly Pocket nonsense. Like I don't know what the <laughs> hell is going on here, man. This Polly Pocket <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> 
Indeed, yeah. You Rebecca's know, checklist. It's is, all the things they used to do when she was a kid, right? Oh, God. Get out of here with that. And I love that Nora is like, yeah, let's leave. But it's like kind about it, but it's very frank about it. Um, but it's also like, uh, you know, like really throwing it back at Rebecca. She's She is Sassy's daughter, you know, like very clearly uh, with the way she's like, uh, if, I, if I leave, are you going to are you going to abandon me for another uh, six years or whatever it is? She says, uh, well, I won't. Well, I not see you again for another six years it's just like is ruthless but like fair and then like it's said and let's keep going um i really loved her as a character and i love that that like attitude was so prominent antonio so that like when nora is there sitting in the boss's chair and sam comes in um that she is like starstruck with sam in a way that I think like grounds our cynical asses, you know what I mean? Like that yes. we are equally starstruck and enamored with this guy um, who has always been just like a wonderful character on the show, but is really going to have a breakout moment in this episode. I think like framing that through her perspective that Sam is her favorite player and like you don't need any elaboration on why. Like she's just very reflective of all the things you should be feeling about Sam Obasanya. I think that's a really good observation and not something that really occurred to me while watching is that her eyes are so valuable for us as outsiders or or maybe as insiders to the club, just seeing all these people's moments and not realizing the influence level. Um, there's a really subtle way to get at how influential these footballers can be, how influential these athletes can be, um, why that matters to certain people of certain generations, especially, um, and whose heroes they really are. Uh, and why um, I thought this was a really subtle way to do that. And it didn't really pop for me uh, in the show, not because the show failed, but because I, maybe I'm uh, anesthetized to that. Like maybe I'm just numb for it uh, and don't see I'm, I'm incapable of necessarily uh, widening my eyes in that way uh, because I'm so entrenched in um, the, the, all the aspects of sports. Uh, and maybe that's part of it, but it was really a good reminder. And I think you're right. Excellent actress. Like we were saying, um, Great moments uh, throughout. I love that she reflects her mother so much. Uh, when you talk about the moments of her saying, you're not going to be gone for six years, are you? Like, that's the exact same read and not letting Rebecca off the hook, not in a mean way, but in a responsible human being to another human being way, uh, not letting her off the hook for what happened. Uh, Sassy really does call it out in season one, basically saying like, yes, Rupert is a monster and he did all these terrible things to you, but you went. like You, you walked every that. step. You watch every step. And so it makes sense that Sassy's daughter, uh, Nora, is so much a reflection of Sassy with regard to not taking any of Rebecca's shit, not giving her a real quarter for it, like not ne not necessarily just constantly making her feel miserable and being like one note and sour about it, but also not letting it go and, and making it clear that like your behavior and your actions, they had emotional consequences for me that I probably haven't even fully unpacked yet. And so I think it's important that we continue to talk about it. Uh, that's the only way we're going to get over it and not have any like just residual resentment. So Rebecca's relationship with Nora in this episode was fantastic. Uh, not for nothing. Uh, seemingly uh, some of the uncomfort uh, levels or uh, confusion unlocked by yet again, another brilliant advice moment from Roy Kent. Uh, just continuing to do the work, Josh. Yeah. Roy has been fantastic this season. Uh, the utilization of Roy Kent, if like, if the, if the, if the way the show wants to use Roy moving forward is to have him just like come in and like 
Danny Tanner some advice to the characters on the show and like very special episode this thing in like a Roy Kent way while also doing the sportscaster stuff and being <laughs> hysterical. What does he say about Jamie that he hopes he dies from the incurable <laughs> condition of being a little bitch? Yes. Uh, <laughs> such a good line. I'm loving that Chris uh, Chris Kamara is just loving Roy Kent at that desk, just like cracking up at his antics. I'm loving that. I'm loving that. You got to believe that they uh, they like filmed all of that stuff in a block. Right, like uh, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure because you can only get those guest stars probably for a limited time. We're gonna get it all COVID. season long. We're gonna get it all yeah. season long, and Roy's always gonna be wearing the black. Take the black. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's always gonna be in uniform, and we'll get these interstitials throughout the season, and it'll be absolutely incredible. But yeah, like if this is if this is Roy Kent on Ted Lasso moving forward. I don't I don't know that I need much more to be completely honest. I know how much you love the character and I love his like emotional journey and the and and how we've been on it but like he's like kind of solid right now and I I wish this for him and I would like for him to like model this for other characters moving forward in his Roy Kent way and I hope for nothing but the absolute very best for him which is not typically what happens to television characters because you need drama. I hope for no drama for Roy Kent Antonio. It's really interesting because the you need drama part has been front of mind for me. It's like, okay, so if this is Roy Kent, just sort of adrift in the post-retirement life, doing a little pundit work, uh, cracking wise, hanging out with the yoga moms, walking around with Phoebe, like, where's the drama come from? Like, this is a guy who seemingly does uh, understand himself pretty well. Uh, He understands himself well enough to know why his kinks are his kinks. Uh, He understands himself well enough to know... Uh, who to ask for for help and to be okay with asking for it. Um, he just seems to be very well adjusted in a lot of respects. He still is miles away from AFC Richmond, even though he's asked to comment on it. He's got no relationship with Ted. That part, all that stuff feels very fixable to me. It feels like something that needs to be fixed. Like as much as we say, Roy's got it figured out and he's okay. That being such a huge blind spot does not feel okay to me. Him not being part of AFC Richmond does not feel okay to me. It obviously feels like there's still some huge part of him that wants to play and is incapable of being around the club uh, without that really crashing him down. He knows he can't be there from a wellness standpoint. Roy Kent seems to be the kind of guy that knows what he does need to do and doesn't need to do in terms of his mental health. And his mental health is such that right now, it doesn't seem like he even wants to talk to Ted Lasso, let let alone be around AFC Richmond. So I do think there is that to fill in. Yeah, obviously we have to go there. I also wonder, like, he's with Phoebe all the time. So on a show that puts parental relationships front and center so vividly, he is more of the surrogate parent in the way that Rebecca is with Nora. Uh, We know that, you know, we don't know what's going on uh, all the way with... Uh, with Nora's father. Um, we don't know where Phoebe, what Phoebe's parents are up to. I suspect there could be something more there. That's a way to bring drama to the Roy Kent life um, without necessarily complicating he and Keeley, without complicating his relationship to football, without putting him in a position where he has to feel like he's got to come back. I do feel like you could do something with regard to his 
his family life because he's with Phoebe so much. It just makes me feel like her parents maybe are working all the time. Maybe it's a single parent household. Whatever it is, there's some drama to maybe that. Maybe she I just feel loves like. her Uncle Roy and wants to go to the dentist with him and do all these other things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go eat ice cream for dinner, get bought dolls. I mean, he's coaching her team. He's doing a lot of traditional parent, parental stuff. Um, so I don't know. He's reading her to, to bed at night. Like, I don't know. We don't know that. I'm, if you're asking me to speculate about like what, what are, there's no drama in Roy Kent. Like, what's the arc? Like, how do we get from point A to point B if he's just going to stay happily in point A the whole time and we're not going to have a problem with that? I do feel like that the Phoebe stuff is a, is a way in, uh, in a way that wouldn't jeopardize the rest of the show and would take this character we love and put their emotions and their heart in something in a way that I think we could could really get some grist out of. So I think that's something we could do. I don't know. Um, it just seems like that's what the show has been suggesting. Uh, and that could be it. it. It could also be that Roy does try to play again. We we know he had a devastating injury. We have, we, we have a ton of time hasn't passed. I don't see the after effects of it. We don't see him in rehab. We don't see him in pain. Um, we don't see him attempting to do football related things and failing. We don't really know where he's at with the injury, but it wouldn't be the first time that someone attempted a comeback and the championship might be a kinder place for that to happen than in the premiership. So I wouldn't rule that out either. Uh, even though I don't think Roy needs it. If we come to a position where the team needs Roy, uh, or, for whatever reason he wants to get back to it. I think we could go there. And I'm not saying I would be against it. I trust the show to to handle that. They're going to do something with Roy Kent because we care about him. Uh, they're going to do something other than just have him deployed uh, to give advice and to crack wise at football. He's going to have some for sure. drama in his life. And it's just a matter of what it's going to be. In living in the space in between episodes, uh, in the, the week off, from that, you know, 30-ish minutes that you spend watching an episode Ted Lasso until uh, you do it all over again. That's where I'm living right now. And here in this world, I want nothing but the absolute best for Roy. And that could mean seeing very little of him. But I know that we will get to these moments in the future that I will be so thrilled that we have. Uh, obviously, there's just still so much more to do with him. It's just what right. I wish for him. Uh, like, uh, if, I feel if, you. If all we get from Roy is stuff like this throughout uh, the season, uh, die new. It will suffice me. Um, <laughs> this is uh, from, from Ariel. And I think that this takes us nicely into um, you know something that I know that we want to talk through before we close out today. Uh, Ariel wrote in and said um, regarding uh, the Brendan Hunt tweet uh, about how they wrote episodes one through three thinking they'd be released all at the same time. It's interesting to trace the storyline of the Roy and Rebecca pair specifically. Now that there's not the old power dynamic between them, they're free to just develop a friendship and it's working really well. He's the one that gave her the dating advice in episode one about how she deserves to feel like she's been struck by effing lightning. In this episode, he gives her the advice on how to treat Sassy's daughter, Nora. When Rebecca tries it out and Nora has an enthusiastic response, the joy on her face is so genuine. It's more incredible work from Hannah Waddingham and such a great evolution to see her character accepting goodness and enjoying the spread of happiness. Roy is clearly a great influence on her, and it's lovely to see another positive platonic friendship between adults. I know that there were a lot of people, Antonio, who really loved um, the scene between Rebecca and Roy uh, specifically. Um, and I think that that's a great way of sort of um, easing into this next bit, because you did watch these three episodes in quick succession um, after knowing that they were intended to be viewed in that way. Let's talk through some of the observations there and specifically 
um, some of the character arcs that you think are starting to crystallize a little bit more for you, having um, watched these three episodes in that way. I think the Roy and Rebecca entry point is a good one because I do feel like we sold Rebecca a little bit short by transitioning from Rebecca and Nora directly into how Rebecca's episode was affected by the advice she got from Roy. Because what we've seen from Rebecca over the course of these three episodes is a Rebecca free of Rupert. Like, yes, the training ground is still named for some reason, the Rupert Mannion training ground. I feel like that needs to change. If we do have financial issues with the team, maybe they'll sell it to someone like Nando's, like they'll do the Nando's uh, Perry Perry training ground. There's a lot of love for Nando's apparently out there. Uh, there's Listen, a, just a ton of reactions to the, the Nando's discussion last week. All podcasts are food podcasts, Josh. It's definitely true. All channels are snack channels. Yes. So the Rebecca and Rupert story dominated Rebecca's story in season one. We had to make Rebecca great again. Uh, that is necessarily positioning her uh her wellness or her greatness uh in direct uh conflict or direct relation with her relationships with men and i think that's a little bit uh that's a little bit just shoddy for me not shoddy but like rebecca deserves a lot more i love to see her embracing the bab of it all um, I love to see her embracing that boss ass bitch mentality that Nora is helping her channel. I really loved the scene in this episode with the two of them writing the email uh, and Nora speaking the unspoken part, saying the quiet part loudly uh, and Rebecca cleaning it up all except for the boss ass bitch at the end. Uh, so I think Rebecca's story this season has been about her dating life. And yet again, frustrating because a character's worth or definition is being determined by um, their position relationship wise to, in, in this case, male characters. So a little bit frustrating, right? But I think on the under, the underside of that, um, is Rebecca's relationship with Rebecca. And I think that's the most important relationship that Rebecca has had in the course of this whole show. That's the one I think we're really seeing her um, growth and her coming to grips with. I need to let myself be okay uh, to be loved by someone wonderful. I deserve that, right? That's her her episode one storyline is John Wings Night and everything that goes into her dating someone like that uh, and everything that goes into her realizing that that she deserves better, um, that she's reminded of, of Roy by Roy in this episode. Um in episode two with Rebecca, we have her uh, talking about her online dating profile yet again and suggesting like whether or not uh, Filthy Rich uh, is something that should appropriately be in that profile or not. Uh, so yet again, Rebecca's what's, what's, what's happening in her mind that we could pick up on is, oh, Rebecca's putting herself out there again. And is she okay to date? And what kind of people will she date? And what kind of online profile should she write? And in this episode, again, we've got Rebecca's relationships and Rebecca's dating. It's there. She's looking at Keely's new app. Um, she's reminded uh, of the costs of her choosing relationships in a certain way with Nora and Sassy being so front of mind in this episode and where she has leaned in in the wrong direction in relationships in the past. So I don't think we can talk about Rebecca without talking about how the show is putting her relationships still front of mind and front of story. Uh, but her relationship with herself, I think, is the most important one. And I think that's the one we are seeing real growth on in the course of this season. Um, last season, she was in such a hurt place and she did uh, hurtful things as a result. Uh, this season, she's feeling better. 
And so I think the question, I think what I'm really looking forward to seeing is Rebecca being a BAB, like really delivering for AFC Richmond, for all the people that work there, for the people that care about her and the people that care about the people at AFC Richmond. I'm looking forward to, I know there's going to be conflict. I know there's going to be peril. I'm really looking forward to seeing Rebecca deliver uh, as a result of all the growth that she's experienced, personal growth, self-love. I I just cannot wait to see how that plays out. So that's really been, uh, I I think, a pretty significant one. I think we're hitting those. If you look at three episodes together, I mean, that's where we're at with Rebecca. And we talked about Roy. Um, I think another interesting one, of course, is Sam. Um, We have him mentioned right at the beginning of the season uh, when Ted is, you know, they said, Ted, what about the eighth straight draw or whatever? And Ted says, you know what? Sam's really stepping up. He's filling that Roy Kent sized hole. Like we hear right away that Sam is making a difference. Sam is really growing into himself. This is not just a guy whose stats had all been down since he was in Nigeria. Uh, This is a guy who is is on the up. Like he really is ascendant. Um, Sam's quiet arc in season one is that Ted wanted him to be used more in the midfield instead of a defender. And what that ultimately means is having a more positive outcome on the match, leading to goal contributions in a more significant way, getting the ball forward more significantly, not as a defender per se, but somebody who is going to contribute in the midfield and be involved in more of the game and be trusted to be involved in both facets of the game. Uh, If he's a box-to-box midfielder like Roy Kent, that means he's really going all the way back in his own half and defending well, um, going into his team's box and, and, and adding to the defense there, carrying the ball forward and going all the way to the other team's box and contributing on that end. So he is a, a player who's having a significant impact on the team. We find that out in episode one. In episode two, obviously, we have the key moments uh, where he's so upset about Jamie. But the significant thing, I think, there is that Sam believes Sam is in on the sign. Sam believes that this team will win and this project will work and they don't need to bring in a shitty person who is great at football, but is shitty and ruin this because they, it will work. Um, and we see how positively supported Sam is. And then we see, and we see Ted encouraging him to use his voice. And then in episode three, we see the after effects of all of that. He's a more influential player. Does Dubai air request Sam specifically, which we know they do, because he's a more influential player now, or do they request him specifically because he's the kind of guy that can help them cover up their sins, um, the sins of their parent company? Open question, right? Um, either way, Sam is a prominent face of this team, and we see what he does with that platform, and it's so wonderful in this episode. So the three episodes, if we watch them at once for Sam, do present a very good arc there as well. The really interesting one I want your feedback on, though, Josh, is Ted Lasso himself. Yeah. Like, what is the arc of Ted Lasso? Yeah, I mean, well, I think to do it as like a three episode arc is like it's it's not enough. There's so much happening here at like a kind of like snail's pace, right? Like it's just, this is a slow burn, um, and I think that we've seized it's on it over the last burn. couple of you know we've we've seized on it over the last couple of of conversations, um, and and more so this week is like the Ted Lasso way ain't working. Like people are happy, but I think like you really hit on it. We're losing. You know, and there are consequences, uh, like significant life altering consequences to performing the way that they are currently performing. Um, you know, you know, they, they've they've only lost the one time, but they're not doing great. The draws are not great. Uh, they they should be wins. We should be winning some of these. Um, there are people who are it. And it's not as simple as saying it's like Dr. Sharon is the one who is making inroads um, this season. Uh, I think like the stuff that happens 
through Sam's leadership and Jamie's own leadership as well. Like there's so much that's happening internally within the locker room, within the players. It's not lost on me um, that this huge monumental moment for the show. Um, and um, and w- what do you stand for to borrow from another show uh, and what this show is standing for in this moment and what these characters are standing for in this moment has basically absolutely nothing. And I think you could strip basically from it has absolutely nothing to do with Ted. Right. Like he's not involved. He's surprised when he's when he's watching them take to the pitch and they've all taped their shirts. Um, this is not something he was in on. Um, he's he's on the outside looking in uh, of this this incredibly important thing that's happening for the characters and, pre- and presumably for the story writ large. Um, I think the fact that Ted Lasso is an outsider has been central to the idea of Ted Lasso, the show, but the journey of season one is about how he like worms his way into the inside Uh, as he and, and beard say about, I think it's about uh, it's about Roy, right? When they're like, he's, they're going to be, he's going to be so mad when we win him over, Um, you know, like no one was mad ultimately that he won them over in season one. But there are ways in which this show fundamentally is about an outsider. So I think that the the whether it's the three episode arc for Ted um, may be um, too small a sample size still. But I still think that the show is absolutely for Ted Lasso as a character, very much about tracking Ted as an outsider. And I think it's it's tracking that that journey toward the center if he can get there in a different way. He's almost like he's outside of himself. We're going to have to get into that. If you want, uh, when you start the episode three, we've got a hand in my pocket by Alanis Morissette, right? And some of the lyrics of that song, I'm sane, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm lost, but I'm hopeful. Those are Ted Lasso to a T. Yeah. Uh, and especially where we find Ted Lasso just at the beginning of this episode, at this point in his journey, all of it, um, he is sane, but he's overwhelmed and he has lost, but he's hopeful. And is that enough? Like, is that, is that enough? I, I submit to you that it's not. Uh, later in the episode, we have a crack about dolls, which is ostensibly just about dolls. It is about these orphan dolls with all these blacks, uh, these, uh, these like, these stories that have like uh, just all these ne- negative marks on them. These horrible orphan stories of these dolls. This must be a very specific thing, uh, to the British doll market, uh, that this is not hitting the same way for those who understand it well. Uh, but the historical doll game in America is strong. And Rebecca chalks this up to Americans' misguided sense of triumph. And I feel like that's something that Ted is carrying around, a misguided sense of triumph. Like, he has this very American, like, wide-eyed, like, we're just going to break down this wall, and that's what's going to happen. It's just going to happen through the power of our positive thinking and the fact that I can get through anything. Adversity is just something for me to overcome. Uh, and I think we're seeing what it what it's like to live in that with Ted. It's not it's not lost on me that at the beginning when Ted is questioned directly about, oh, what about bringing Jamie Tart back? And Ted says, I'm I'm more like his Mister Miyagi with less yard work, right? That's not true because he does not do well by Jamie Tart. Like it is the doctor who. Jamie is dragged into Dr. Fieldstone's office, and then it is only after that that we see him break through with the team. Ted and Jamie can't even get on the same page about the PS5s, and Jamie, with one little crack, can get a leg up on Ted in that regard. So it just feels like Ted is a little bit clueless and is a little bit triumphant in his own misguided sense, Um, and the show is making that a little bit clearer, I think, without saying it overtly. 
it's saying it covertly. And it isn't just uh, not winning. We have an example in this episode uh, where the show goes out of its way to tell us they were heavily favored against Coventry City and still lost. They didn't just draw. They lost in a heavily favored match. And so think about it this way. You've got a team where all these fortunes are uh, going in a certain direction. Uh, you've got a guy who's sure of all these methods, who's trying literally his last resort stuff, and it's not working. Um, he still thinks that it's working or is taking some credit for it. He's on the outside of some of his players' most poignant and important moments of the entire series. He's not involved. Um, you could say that he's connected because he put Sam in a position where Sam felt comfortable speaking his mind. And I think that that's true. Uh, but Ted's direct link to some of these successes um, is maybe not there. That said, he's still such a positive force. He's such a good ally for Sam in that moment in the way that a lot of uh, coaches need to be. And, and many have failed at being, um, especially in American football, just an abysmal record of standing up for their players when they were sticking their necks out. Uh, such an abysmal, abysmal record. Same thing with Major League Baseball. Um, less so to an extent with the NBA. Uh, you've got coaches like Greg Popovich, who I love. is like a top five human being. Uh, you've got Steve Kerr. These coaches are out there understanding that they their view in all, their, their role in all this, and really being articulate about it and standing up for their players and their players' rights and everything um, that's going on in society uh, is something that their players can't ignore. And these these coaches stand up for their players. And Ted's allyship is a lot more like that. So Ted's still doing very good things. And his heart is still in the right place. It just isn't working. Uh, and he kind of is intimating or thinks that it is or that it could work. Um, and it's not. So there are things about Ted's uh, Ted's leadership that are working wonders. Uh, the atmosphere at the club seems to be great. Dr. Fieldstone observed this in episode two, uh, but the, the results just aren't there on the field. And the question is, how do you turn what Ted is doing uh, into something like that? And I think that's where Ted is struggling. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if it gets worse for Ted before it gets better in terms of emotionally, because we haven't really seen that piece of it yet. Uh, we had a little bit of a hint of it in episode one, where he really brings up the things that make you cry, just thinking that they existed and also make you cry because you no longer have them. Um, his marriage and stuff that, that really we dealt with in season one, it's probably still very front of Ted's mind. And we just really haven't sat with that for a while. And it does feel like it's coming. I mean, the guy had a mental breakdown this episode and led tasseled his way all over the joint. So what is next for Ted? It just, it feels like, but it's, it feels like there's going to be some dark days ahead before we before we see the light, for sure. Um, I want to get into some feedback before we do free kicks and clean up the rest of the episode. Um, again, you can send your feedback in Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com, or you can hit us up in the Ted Lasso channel in the Post Show Recaps Patreon Discord. Um, and again, since episode four is going to be coming your way a little bit late, this is a really great opportunity next week to get that feedback in. You've got some room to do it. Not so much of a tight time crunch. So Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com, please. We want to read your stuff. Uh, this came from Ted, not Lasso. Uh, Ted wrote in, I really loved this episode. It was especially heartwarming. And the Rebecca and Nora scenes were such a welcome surprise. I thought the first two episodes were perfectly fine, but this episode had everything that I love about Ted Lasso. That was a vibe uh, that was persistent um, among many of the people who wrote in. This came our way from Mars Bars, uh, who wrote in, I was, I was standing up and cheer crying like I was at an actual game when Jamie joined in with the team and when they took the pitch. This 
show. Also really love the Nora and Rebecca relationship in this episode. It speaks to so many relationships in my own life that got paused for one reason or another, and you have to adjust to where the person is now. Um, from Tova, Tova wrote in and said, I love Sam. I loved his storyline in this episode. I was heartbroken to see the ad campaign he was so proud of being um, for such a corrupt company that was destroying his home country. But his actions afterward were perfect. Sam taking a stand was moving. One of the best things about sports is when a team rallies around a member who is hurting. The willingness of the team to stand in solidarity with Sam and their Nigerian teammates was beautiful. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, I don't know what will. The fallout will likely be swift and ugly, but for one episode at least, we are left with a beautiful moment of unity. Does this show, um, Antonio, this is me now, um, do, you, do, you, do you anticipate um, the swift and ugly reaction? Um, is, that, is that territory that this show traverses? I, it's a fascinating thing to consider because, again, I, I read on that rant earlier about how the show lives in um, expectations maybe not being met in the way that you expected, but in a way that feels appropriate. Um, so it does feel like there'll be fallout. It seems like the fallout will be swift. The ugly part, I'm not sure because there's there's a world in which this gets exceptionally ugly. Yeah. Um, Trent Krim, uh, being the dickhead that he is, decided that he needed to make this crystalline that Sam was accusing the Nigerian government of corruption. And there's a world where if Sam's parents are still in Nigeria, um, this this is a very, very ugly thing. I mean, not for nothing, but the whole serithium of it all uh, is very, as, as far as I can tell, very allegorically loosely connected, not even very loosely, just not even that loosely is my point connected to shell shell oil uh cerithium i believe is a kind of snail snail shell uh but shell oil has had human rights issues with environmental spills uh in the same place in the niger delta so um this is uh this is not a uh these are not made up things these are very very real things as i said the racial consequences of colonialism of the way that the continent that continent is treated uh still to this day uh and Everything that goes on there um, is just so abhorrent by any Western standard um, that we really could choose to, if we wanted to, spend a real uh, a long deep dive there. And the things that Shell Oil has been accused of and done uh, as a result of that case include executing people that are trying to put them on blast. I mean, not, no, nothing short of that. Nothing short of hiring people to kill the people that are being put on blast. And not for nothing, this happens in South America. Um, this happens with the oil companies or uh, environmental degradation purveyors uh, all over the world. Um, they engage in these things where um, they legitimately kill people who are protesting against them. Um, so it's really, when you say ugly, what is ugly? Because I think obviously what we're really teeing off is the AFC Richmond struggling financially storyline. Um if you want to map Ted Lasso to Major League, the movie, which the first do season has a very similar plot, um, we can maybe do that as a bonus podcast. Um, but if you want to do that, then you cannot ignore the fact that we could enter an era where we really see the cost-cutting era of AFC Richmond. Those showers could go back to low flow. Uh, we could have you reusing the same tapes. The jersey could smells or the jerseys could smell. There's a lot we could get into from a comic perspective of a team that's being run on bubblegum and shoestrings uh, kind of budget. So that doesn't have to be ugly. It can be funny, but I think that's going to be our direct fallout. I definitely think they're going to lose the sponsor. They're probably in the way that like only 
the uh, Premier League can in a very specific way. Sometimes a team will get promoted to the Premier League and you'll see uh, advertisements all over their home ground that are for like basically local businesses in some out of the way town in England. Uh, and it's always really funny uh, when you've got examples of that where it comes up and it's like, this is exceptionally British. Like it is exceptionally specific to this world. So we could see a very hilarious uh, kind of world where AFC Richmond is struggling for money and has to kind of pander uh, to local businesses or local sponsors or the kind of sponsors who aren't interested in seeing their name in the Premier League uh, because it's not happening right now. So that could be funny and could be a thing we do. But there's an opportunity for an ugly fallout. I also want to go back um, to Mars Bars. Uh, Mars Bars also in the Discord posted a link to a podcast episode that Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt did um, with Brene Brown, who is a social worker, a professor, a researcher, um, a thinker, uh, somebody who I didn't know very well before that podcast. I've only really heard the name, um, and I loved that podcast. I want to thank Mars Bars for posting that. It was from October of 2020, so it was from before the show uh, was where the show is now. Um, it, the show had, had blown up, obviously, but maybe not to the extent. Uh, and her, the, their take, their, the, the way they talk about the show in that podcast is unique um, and very specific uh, to some of the things that uh, that professor has researched uh, and some of the things that, that went into the show. It seems very clear to me that her research influenced the writing of the show. Uh, and they say as much in that podcast. So it's a fascinating podcast. And I want to thank Mars Bars for putting that in the Discord. I would not have uh, been able to listen to that if not. So thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, and I encourage people to check that out. The podcast is called Unlocking Us. If you go into like the podcast feed of it, you're not going to be able to find the older episode. But it is on Spotify. If you have uh, Spotify, which in and of itself is a terrible corporation. <laughs> to that point, uh, your friend and mine, the great Brooklyn Zed, had uh, been messaging me about Ted Lasso. Uh, they said that this was their favorite episode uh, by far uh, so far. I may be yeah. inserting by far, uh, but Zed said, this has been my favorite episode of Ted Lasso. Um, uh what did they say? Uh, I love the Rebecca and Nora stuff and how Roy played into it and how Keely handled Jamie and his interaction with Dr. Fieldstone. All the secondary plots were really great this week, but the Sam storyline was just incredible and the whole team standing in solidarity with his protest and the way Ted gave him a platform to speak about it to the press was also powerful and good. Um, I look forward to seeing this build. It's interesting to see a show on a network like Apple TV which is so connected to producing products, not just a streaming service, tackled the idea of a corporation impacting a country and the government's involvement in it. Um, uh, yeah. Very salient points. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Zed and I are very much kindred spirits in that regard, for sure. And the, the Foxconn, the, the iPhone construction, the degradation, just everything that Apple has contributed to, uh, definitely not lost. It is... I think one of those extremely complicated situations we find ourselves in in this modern world uh, where corporations are so big that one arm of one corporation can be ripping the other arm of the other corporation uh, left, right, and center. It's Hydra, uh, the baby. The Simpsons did this, right? The Simpsons did this on Fox for years. Yeah. Uh, they put Fox on blast. I'm sure they continue to do so. Uh, but they put Fox on blast for years on Fox and using the platform that Fox was providing them. So it isn't a great television tradition to do this. I mean, going all the way back, uh, the the commercials used to be part of the program in a way that was uh, that was not sustainable. The business models were far less insipid; uh, it were just more overt. 
Um, this is so you would have like the Jack Benny program brought to you by Lucky Strike and a huge part of the program would be a, com- a comedic bit uh, featuring this quartet of singers for Lucky Strike cigarettes. And what were they going to do this week? And it, the, the commercial became a joke. On the Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV show, he used to make fun of the ads before they went to commercial. He used to basically say, commercials are terrible. Go have your soul sucked for 30 seconds and come back to this program because they're the ones that are paying us to make it. Like He would literally put the advertisers on blast. This was in the 50s. So we have come a long way, uh, but we've only come so far as to say the people that are paying for this show to be made are the same people that are causing the kind of problems that this show is putting front and center. Uh, so it is fascinating for sure to think about this place in this modern world that we find ourselves in. Um, I, I completely agree with Zed about the Sam storyline. I just, as I said, if you're going to do a show like this, uh, you cannot ignore this, which has been such a story in sports over the last several years and continues to be such a significant story specifically with regard to football, specifically regard to uh, the way that players in England are speaking out on these issues. I mean, during the pandemic, you had to have Marcus Rashford, who is an incredible human being and who has basically done more to feed the children of the country than the entire government has done, uh, has spoken out uh, and basically said, this is failure. Like we are failing during the pandemic. This needs to be done. We need to extend these. He has put all of that system directly on trial and used his platform to do that. Uh, And then it it comes down to the European championships. uh, And he's lauded for this, by the way, he's lauded for his behavior. He's praised. He, He misses a penalty kick in the European championships and England loses. And he's racially abused on social media for the next several days. Uh, and this is it's inescapable uh, in modern sport. The fact that players are using their voices more and society is responding to it in positive and negative ways because our society is not just one thing. It is both positive and negative. And that's part of what makes it so frustrating for so many people um, to see this storyline play out the way it did in the episode felt very much of the time in a way that. Maybe they don't realize, it. like like you said, I think you so eloquently put, like, that's this show's thing. Like, whether they mean to do it or not, they're talking about sports psychology and the importance of that, just seeming to be at the same time when that's the, when it's never been talked about more in our society. Uh, they're doing an episode now that feels a little more law and order ripped from the headlines like, because clearly this is an issue that didn't just start, uh, but it feels very timely and very related to the things that are happening now. And so it was great to see it and a little bit of a surprise to see it on Apple for sure. Uh, but uh, I just was so, so thrilled about that. Um. Let's do some free kicks, Antonio. Let's let's uh, oh, yeah. let's take this thing home. What have we not touched on in this episode that you want to make sure we hit before we close out? How about a little banter, banter? Uh, what do you oh, think? Yeah, gonna we happen? love banter. What do you think is going to happen with this? You uh, and I are all about banter, by the yes, way. Yes, we don't use any pictures on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's very convenient for yeah. us. Um, We're just big time banterers. We are. Is that like grinder? How about that joke? Huh? That was, was that very- a joke? Was it a joke? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That was a lot. Uh- <laughs> there, there were two. There were two specific because we're in free kicks now. There were two specific yeah. jokes. I guess I don't think that was a joke. I think that was like, uh, okay, you're telling on yourself a little yes, bit, and I yeah. recognize that, and we're going to let that hang in the air, and maybe we'll deal with it later. No problem. I think the only other person that noticed it was Richard, uh, who just sort of looked up at Colin like, excuse me? Um, but that was a thing. And then so was Ted's joke about, I haven't seen a pass that soft since my high school drama teacher invited me to mow his lawn. Oh, my God. That was 
Uh, that was a little bit out of bounds, if I'm being honest. Some uh, of the the show has been spicy this season. I feel like that was yes. I mean, they killed a dog immediately. Yes, yeah. the show has been spicy this season, uh, and that was extremely spicy. So, uh, but what about the banter app, uh, Josh? It's pictureless. So clearly, we're going to have a very Shakespearean mixed identity. Nobody knows who who is. Like they're going to have some kind of farce that happens here. Uh, maybe it's more commedia dell'arte. But what in what world? Uh, it's they're going to who's going to match with who? It's is it not. A, it's not going to be Higgins. Is, is it? It's not going to be Rebecca and Ted. That's too obvious. Yes, or maybe um, not. Um, I don't know. Here's here's. You know, prediction corner because none of this matters and the predictions never add up, which is great. I'm fine with that. I'm not mad about it. No, I'm okay. Uh, we, we, <laughs> I think you need to talk to Dr. Fieldstone. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we've got, um, you know, at the end of this episode, uh, she's using banter. Banter is out there as an element on the show. She's single looking to mingle. Ted is single as well. We've got a Christmas episode coming up. They're both alone in in certain regards at least uh here in in london do they match and spend the holiday together i don't know it just seems like that i don't know i mean i feel like the show if you're talking about like defying expectations or delivering in a way that we don't expect if we're defying expectations then the move would be because um i'm blanking on the name of his girlfriend but maybe it's coach beard and Rebecca? Yeah. Well, Nate said he downloaded the app. What about Nate and Rebecca? He did say he deleted it. So. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we did have the awkward moment in season one where Rebecca thought Sam was asking her out as well. So it could be a member of the team. Um, I think we've got we've got some candidates on here, depending on who Keely has pushed this app, app out to. Uh, Miss Bowen is a character who is not clearly not a Mrs. Bowen. That was not her name. Her name was Miss Bowen. Um, so she could be somebody that Ted could match up with. I think that seems to be, uh, something that, uh, we had kind of speculated about what Miss Bowen's role could be on the show if she's in more episodes besides just being Phoebe's teacher. Um, I don't know who Keely's pushing this app out to, but we know Rebecca is actively using it and we know there aren't pictures on it. So we could have a scenario where Rebecca actually forms some feels for somebody and it turns out to be somebody she did not expect. Uh, one thing that I will flag, and it's not a flag, but it, Ted, when he's talking about the app, said, wouldn't it be a thing if I got on there and I met my soulmate and it changed the whole course of my life? Like, he's almost stating something that it just seems like, okay, if you want to pull a Kevin Mahadeo and plant your snake in something, like, this may be, this may be a place where it would get planted. Uh, I, he, that was the most exceptional mixed metaphor I've ever heard someone try to attempt. Uh, that was a callback to our the Everything is Super podcast yes. here at Post Show Recaps, yes. where Kevin tried to plant uh, Mike Bloom eating a snake, uh, planting his flag. Uh, just, he, he mixed metaphors in a way that uh, I'm still laughing about days later. Um, if you wanted to do that, Ted does say that. Ted does say, like, wouldn't it be a thing if I got on there and I met my soulmate and it changed the whole course of my life? Like, maybe that's the story of Ted's trip to uh, England generally. Uh, maybe not Ted on the app, but... He metamused that. Uh, I don't know if there's a metamucil going on there, but uh, that was definitely a metamusing. So 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Beard and Jane sharing the iCloud. It does make it seem like she would. What, is, what did he say? I think she said he, she would grab his phone and destroy it with a pair of pliers or something. Burn it with acid. I, yeah. Jane, I, I, I mean, the, the Beard and Jane stuff. I mean, if you want to track things that have gone on over multiple episodes. Uh, we had Beard sleeping in the office. They're sharing an iCloud. He's disappeared from his morning coffee with Ted because of something about Jane. Uh, is this just a gag? Do you just want this to be a gag? Or do you think the Beard and Jane stuff is going somewhere other than the gag? You know, I think Brendan Hunt being one of the main writers on the show, uh, he's, you know, an executive producer. He has a developed by credit as well. Um, I I hope uh, that he and the other writers have the wherewithal to know that. I think, like, I really think that there's a lot of room to expand on a ton of characters on this show. And I think that that's an excellent thing. But I do think that this sort of, like, international man of mystery quality to Beard is very fitting and should remain in place to a large degree. Um, he's not really a character that I need, like, the real deep, like, uh, you know, mechanic job on. Definitely. And I think the more that you read about it, it does feel like they have kind of scrapped some plans, like some of the the things that ended up on the writer's room floor, if you will, with regard to Beard, uh, is there had been like this idea that yeah. some more of those international man of mystery elements would be there. Uh, so it's, you this know, like, this feels is like, like a vestige of that. You know, like this is like, uh, you know, like, uh, like, I don't know, like this is like when Launchpad's not hanging out with Scrooge McDuck, like he's out and he's being like James Bond or whatever the hell they did back in like old school DuckTales. Like, don't do not do that with Coach Beard. You know, like, I think like every impulse to do like something that's like really like sort of almost like spin-offable about Coach Beard, like leave that to the, to the arena of subtext. Let that fuel the performance. Let that fuel jokes. Give us like the, the, the per chance to dream here stuff. That's where Coach Beard works. Like, let's get into the psyche of, of Jamie Tart. Let's get into the psyche of Roy Kent. Let's see more Sam. Let's see more of these characters. I see more Sam. I don't, I don't, I don't need, I don't need that with Coach Beard. And I think that it is, it is like very fragile ice if you, uh, if you try to skate across that. Like, I think it, it is, uh, it is delicate territory just because he is a character that it's so tempting to, I know that's a character where like it is it is very tempting to dig deeper in like a very funny way that's elaborated upon where we now do suddenly find ourselves like almost in like way too self-referential comedy territory. I I think we're we're we we are at good beard right now. I don't think the beard needs to be any longer or any shorter. Although it will be funny if one day beard shows up clean shaven for some reason, uh, or shaves his beard out of superstition, or uh, is stripped of his power when he. There could be some beard related stuff that I think could be funny to play That's if you're talking great. about international yeah. man of mystery. Keep, yeah. keep the keep the why of that uh, at bay, but have the how but of it play out. It's to it's to your point earlier about like uh, like seeing the process of how did Ted Hulk out and become led tasso and like what what did he have to do to like psych himself into that position i'm glad we don't know uh like the the invisible spaces that is that is like sublime stuff keep that like the you know like the 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 palace of imagination right you know like let us live there uh for some of these jokes uh and i think that beard is like the character in that regard for me that should be um honoring that rule more than anybody else very true. Uh, and I think, I think, I think the show's doing a good job of it so far. Um, speaking of things though, 
that we, we, I don't know if we want to, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's just talk about it. We, we talked about banter and we talked about beard. I want to get a little bit meta and get a little nuts and bolts for you here. Um, we put the streak to bed here. They, they lost. They had beers afterwards. The streak is over. If we were taking the three episodes in one group, then the streak was pretty meaningless. It didn't hang around. It didn't define the team. It was over in the span of the premiere. Uh, so the question that I have for you then is which came first? The idea of a streak of draws or the joke about streaks and draws <laughs> and finding a way to put that into the show so they could make the joke. Do you think that this is a scenario where the whole reason the team had eight straight draws was because they wanted to make that joke? No, I don't. But I think that it, it, it uh, emerged quickly in the discussion of uh, the winless a Richmond draws. and that they are, uh, they have nothing but like what, so we want them to not be in a winning position. Should they have won one? No. What, how about like, they didn't lose everything. It's Ted's least favorite thing. The unnatural, the tie that's just been draw, draw, draw. Someone in the room shouts out a streak of draws. Okay. And then there we go. We yes. Put that on the joke card as well. Like, yes, we'll but don't that. put that on, like put that, uh-huh. in, put that in the wash. Okay, what about the character that we have? Uh, we've got a named character now. He had been named previously, but we're really mentioning his name aloud on the show and not just seeing it in the background of notes or whatever. What about this guy, Bumbercatch? Is that just a Cumberbatch joke? Yeah, for sure. Like this is like a this is like a like a semi mean commentary from the writers on like uh, British ridiculousness. <laughs> yes, like like Charles Edgar Cheeser yeah, to the third, exactly. Like, yeah. Bumber catch. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right, all yeah, right. All no right, way okay. that that's not uh, linked to to Benedict Cumberbatch. Just zero chance. Bumper catch makes the list of Jamie's sins. Jamie's other sins. He called Colin a jaundiced worm uh, in Colin's local newspaper, which is a great way to dig that knife in. It's not that you just called me that. You did that in like the place that was trying to big me up where I'm from. Um, he also cupped a fart and put it in Richard's face. The three things like really, really covers uh, the whole range there. Uh, he's doing verbal insult work with the jaundiced worm. He's being completely gross and like mashing on Bumper catches mom, Janet, poor Janet, right in front of her dad. And then he's just doing the toilet humor and cupping a fart and putting it in Richard's face. Like this is Jamie. Jamie Tart's sins really run the gamut. That's fantastic. Yeah. And he got him relegated. Yeah. And he got him relegated. He, he, his sins are so bad that John Moss, uh, the Dutch guy who we don't see too much yet in the series says, I don't know you, but I don't like you. Yeah. That was very <laughs> funny. That was great when everyone's screaming at him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was a, uh, that was something I definitely wanted to hit. What about Sam's dad? Can we talk about this just for a moment? Dubai Air's been on their jerseys the whole time. I, I want to stand up for Sam's dad and say, when you're a player who's moved directly from Nigeria to their Premier League and you're young, um, you don't have a lot of luxury to speak out against the prime sponsor of the team. So I can understand why his dad did not put it on blast before. It does seem to be surprising that the Dubai Air of it all has not come up before. But I think if you look at it from that perspective, there is a huge push-pull for these athletes who have these platforms. I mean, there's a reason why why so many athletes maybe don't feel comfortable speaking out. It takes a lot of courage because, I mean, look what happens with people like Colin Kaepernick. You lose your spot. You don't get it back. Yeah. Like, you don't get it back. They wanted to send Muhammad Ali to jail for crying out loud. Like, yeah. 
this this is real shit. Like this is there are real consequences for using your platforms. Um, not the least of which are the death threats and all of that, which most players get just from playing poorly or from playing at all. Uh, but this is something much more specific. So I feel like Sam's dad. Uh, there's a difference between you don't have a choice of what jerseys on the sponsor, and you don't have a choice of who you choose to put your face with and be the spokesperson of. And I think that's the bridge too far for Sam's dad. So I think it can be both worlds there for sure. Um, but the the family relationships are so prevalent throughout this series, especially with the fathers. But but I think uh, what we're seeing with Rebecca and Nora, especially in this episode, um, put the uh, the more maternal relationships uh, on uh, on display as well. And just really fantastic. Roy's relationship with Phoebe, not for nothing, is also, um, there's a lot of the maternal in that. Uh, and I think just a really uh, great stuff. That, a lot of that is talked about on the um, the podcast I mentioned. Speaking of which, if you don't know what Brendan Hunt uh, sounds like outside of Coach Beard and where his thought, uh, thought processes evolve from, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to listen to the way that guy thinks and speaks because it just does not feel like beard at all uh and it's like oh that's the guy he's an unusual guy like okay okay this is really good so there's a lot of thinking that goes into um the sensitivity of these characters and where it comes from uh, and that's talked about there and so that that really plays out in a lot of these parental relationships and seeing that play out the way it did uh was great i i just love the small relationships in the show i love that we saw shannon in this episode Shannon is the girl um, who uh, meets with Ted uh, around yes. his apartment. Yes, yes, yeah. that you know he uh, he's you know uh, he's kicking the soccer ball with early on in season one. Um, she, I feel like we've been like a little light on sort of like um, like the local culture surrounding AFC Richmond this season. Like a little bit of like everybody taking the photos of Ted and Jamie together. It was really good to see Shannon again uh, and to see that the show hadn't forgotten her. I really like that relationship between her and Ted. It's subtle, but it's really, really, really good. It is. And I think it's important that Ted has these relationships that are about the football team. Uh, he has one with May as well, right? Where they're about the football team, but th- these are people that are in his corner. Uh, because a lot of the people we saw in season one are calling him wanker and yelling at him. And if things do get ugly from a football perspective, uh, we need people to be in his corner. And even though Shannon's in his corner, she's giving him shit about not winning. Uh, so I thought that was, I thought that was really fun, a good fun, a fun scene and a way to bring Shannon back into the story. Uh, we hadn't seen her this season yet. So that was really nice. Um, Rebecca's not always on her game. She blows the thing with Higgins trying to make her look good. Uh, right after she says you need to be three or four steps ahead and not reactive, you know, Higgins is basically saying like, Hey, you really helped me and she doesn't get it and she's exposed. Uh, so that was, I, I think Higgins being quietly, uh, good, like good at his job, good at what he does, being the one who hired Dr. Fieldstone, being the one who's pu- pushing a lot of these buttons. I think just Higgins being competent and good at his job is something I'm interested in seeing continue to evolve here. I don't just want to see Higgins the bumbling fool uh, and Higgins the stammerer. I I want to see Higgins being effective at what he does. And I think we're getting hints at that throughout these episodes. And I like seeing that continue to develop. I also like Higgins. uh, I think that was She's a Rainbow playing on um, Higgins' ringtone there uh, momentarily. I laughed at the Diamond Dogs adjourning with their little quiet howls. That was very funny. Um, And not for nothing, Nate ended up being right about the fact that they needed to talk to Dr. Fieldstone about Jamie and not do the lead tasso shit. 
So uh, I think it's funny to see all these characters just kind of being wrong in the moment. Not everybody's infallible on the show, and no one is infallible, really. And I think that's, that's really effective. I will be interested to see the adversity that Dr. Fieldstone experiences. Um, what, you know, what is her character drama going to be as it plays out? She can't be the one who's always right and is always pushing the right buttons. I mean, she can be the Mr. Miyagi, but I think it's a more interesting character if we have something more to it than just that. Well, we need to know more about her yes, other yes. than um, that, like, she, she doesn't want to doesn't eat want sugar. sugar and right. so she gets a gift basket of bottled water. You know, yes. like, uh, there is there there is more there. But, you know, uh, I think I think right now um, there's more plot function than than character there. And I agree that I want I want to see I want to see more character. But again, like if we are treating these three episodes as the premiere, then I think they've given us enough for the for the quote unquote premiere. Um, like I feel like she's defined enough right now for a very, very early foray into an important character, into a series regular, you know, um, I think we'll get there. Uh, it may take some time, um, especially as like other characters from the background are starting, uh, you know, from season one are starting to, to get more, um, get more, more play time. Speaking of which player of the match this week for me is just like a very easy Sam. Yeah. Um, uh, and like in any other episode, it would have been Nora. Uh, (laughs) but I think Sam, Sam does take it. I think that's right. Yep. I think that's right. Sam's the player of the match for me as well. And I'd like to, I think we wrap it up here. I want to point out that the credits music, we talked about the beginning song being hand in my pocket by Alanis Morissette and Ted being sane, but overwhelmed and lost, but hopeful. Uh, the, Credits song uh, in the post credits or the uh, the end credits um, was "Kala, My Friend" uh, from the album "Africa" by Amanaz. Um, and Amanaz is, uh, according to the Wikipedia page, the band's name is an acronym: A M A N A Z. Uh, ask me about nice artists in Zambia. Uh, they are a Zambian uh, group. Uh, this is from their only uh, and yet uh, claimed album, uh, "Africa." So. A nice little bit of a, a, a hat tip there to the continent uh, in a way that um, I think was fitting. And the the vibe of the song, I think, really felt uh, positive at the end of a, an uplifting uh, episode, an episode that took us on a, a little bit of an emotional journey. Um, the This song was a very relaxing way to kind of see the episode out. So really liked having that. Uh, and I think uh, just another fun way uh, to take us away from a Ted Lasso episode. And next week, it's going to be Christmas. Oh my God, I cannot wait. I love Christmas. I'm really excited to see how does Ted Lasso do a holiday special. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited because again, like this is territory that could be so sitcom tropey. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really intrigued to see what does the show do differently, uh, around Christmas time. We're going to find out in no time at all. Uh, it'll be a little bit longer for the podcast about a day later than usually you get these shows. So just a little patience, uh, and it shall be rewarded with, I'm sure, uh, a really in-depth uh, dissertation on all things holiday episode of Ted Lasso. I'm really pumped for it, Antonio. In-depth dissertation. I feel like you're reading me, but I'll take it. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. You should take it. I mean it with all <laughs> sincerity and love, and I am, I am really, really digging uh, how much we're digging into Ted Lasso this season. This has been really, really, really fun for me. I think it's a really rich show. I think there is, uh, it's such an easy thing to say. There's so much there there, but there really is. Uh, like I think that this episode especially just had so much to it um, from like the bigger picture, like the really 
um, you know, the intensity and importance of, uh, of a very relevant story to just the, the intricate character work that's going on, uh, that the, that the biggest like slapstick moment of the show, uh, landed to some with a thud. Like I find that interesting. And I think I find it extra interesting in the context that we talked it through that like it's landing with a thud in the context of the show too, the lead tasso stuff, like a lead balloon. Uh, so I love that. I think it's great. I think this season I'm, I'm really, really feeling it. I hope other people are feeling it as well. Um, get I that hope feedback so too. Into and I think, Ted Lasso I think so. at post show yeah. recaps. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, hit up Antonio at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? It's two Z's and one R. And I definitely want to thank everybody who has shared our podcast, retweeted our links, subscribed to our feed. Keep doing that. Keep pushing that out if you're not yet subscribed. And thank you so much for sharing our podcast uh, on places. If you're on Reddit or if you're on other websites, sharing it around uh, so that people that aren't currently in the post show recaps uh, universe can uh, share this podcast. And uh, if they're interested in it, uh, get subscribed to the feed themselves and listen to it and become part of the community. Uh, so we're very thankful to everybody that's done that. And certainly thankful, Josh, to everybody who works on this show behind the scenes, uh, the people who uh, work on the editing, the people who work with the credits music, just everybody who has contributed to the show. I'm very thankful for hundred percent. Um, all right. Well, let's do you prepare your best carols or speaking of songs. Are you going to be singing any carols on the podcast? Oh, I mean, I want to see last Christmas. I want to see uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Like, yeah, uh, I don't I do not want to hear. Oh, God. Wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney. I'm a huge, huge Beatles fan. But I that song hate is that just song. it's the worst. It's annoying. Uh, I cannot, it's definitely I cannot. annoying. I really hope we don't get that. I really, that's my number one wish of this next episode. I don't even care about what happens to any of the characters. I just don't want to hear that song. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't get that one. There's so many other songs out there to choose from. Uh, that, that get your like one Christmas carol trigger would be pretty lucky. <laughs> <laughs> pretty direct hit uh we'll see we shall uh, see it seems like it's very appropriate be so nice we'll to see. nice to avoid all right we'll be back next time with our season two episode four recap we appreciate you all we'll be back soon take care bye-bye cheers With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.